The information contained on the Real Health Podcast and the resources mentioned are for educational purposes only. They are not intended as and shall not be understood or construed as medical or health advice. The information contained on this podcast is not a substitute for medical or health advice from a professional who is aware of the facts and circumstances of your individual situation. Information provided by hosts and guests on the Real Health Podcast or the use of any products or services mentioned does not create a practitioner-patient relationship between you and any persons affiliated with this podcast. This is the Real Health Podcast brought to you by Reardon Clinic. Our mission is to bring you the latest information and top experts in functional and integrative medicine to help you make informed decisions on your path to real health. Well, welcome everyone. It's Dr. Ron Henning Hockey, and we're back with the Real Health Podcast. And it's my real pleasure today to introduce uh, Mr. Glenn Sabin. Glenn, uh, welcome to the Reardon Clinic Real Health Podcast. Good to be with you. Let me tell our audience a little bit about you. Uh, Glenn has been on a journey since September of 1991 when he received that those dreaded words uh you have cancer it was a what what type of cancer was it glenn chronic lymphocytic leukemia or col yeah and uh and you're not you're not a doctor i'm not you're just an average run-of-the-mill guy that was told that he had cancer but you did not take the average run-of-the-mill response to that uh, what, what what was different about you that made you go down the road that we're going to be talking about during our presentation today? Well, unfortunately, the, the diagnosis of chronic lymphocytic leukemia, or CLL, back in 1991, you know, was termed an incurable malignancy, just like it is actually today. It's not considered curable, all but for very, very few. So at such a young age being diagnosed, I, I had no choice but to kind of focus inward on being the healthiest person that I could be. Yeah. And you had a, you have a, what, two children, right? Is that right? Or Yes, I do. Were they there at that? What, one was there and you were, your wife hadn't had the second one yet. If I remember actually, correctly. neither were born in '91. Ah. My firstborn didn't come along until five years after, and there was treatment choices that I could have jumped on upon diagnosis, and that would have, you know, pushed me to a bank sperm if I wanted to have kids because ah, I would have right. been sterile through those therapies. Yeah. So I know our listeners. We, you know, uh, the Reardon Clinic. The whole gist of the Reardon Clinic under Dr. Reardon was uh, helping people find out what they could learn for themselves to take better care of themselves and, and achieve better outcomes. And so we attract a lot of what I consider unique, special, wonderful people who uh, we refer to as co-learners because they come not as just passively looking for our help, but they want to be a part of the healing journey. And I see you as a really uh, one of the a pioneer co-learner who was not willing to sit down and take that diagnosis without some kind of significant response. But 
was that always in you or was what was the what was the uh, inner motivation that led you to to take this uh, this incredible journey well right off i was 28 years young and, wow. and newly married and i had my whole life in front of me and i was diagnosed with an older person's disease that was deemed incurable so um you know, I, I, I am wired a certain way where I, 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 I'm a bit forward leaning, maybe type A, you could say. Uh, so I was kind of predisposed to, um, you know, having a, an attitude or approach that I may dig a little bit more deeply than the average person, perhaps. But I think it was being told that uh, there was nothing really that I could do in combination with knowing that the standard of care at that point was purely palliative. Uh, so I had to kind of double down on what I did have uh, control over. And for me, that was control over uh, qu quality of life and to an opportunity to work on, on my underlying you know, health and immune, immune function and resiliency. It's interesting that when people get a diagnosis, oftentimes the focus goes immediately to the disease and what can we do to treat the disease. And you mentioned the, the fact that I think that it was Dr. Reardon's insight and I keep working with it with our patients as well. What is it that I can do to improve my health? This, the, the Reardon Clinic used to be called the Center for the Improvement of Human Functioning. And so evidently you had that spark of, I'm just going to say genius to say, Hey, I've got to really work on quality of health. And so, uh, what did that, how did that shape up for you? What, what were you needing to do to be healthier? Well, I just saw it immediate, you know, immediately, uh, that, um, that the, the host and the tumor environment are not mutually exclusive and that, as much attention, if not more, needs to be put into the host environment. The person who is hosting this, you know, life-limiting or you know, challenging event. In this case, uh, you know, a malignancy. And so, there's a lot that one can do to create an environment in which it makes it more difficult for an underlying malignancy to uh, flourish or thrive, if you will. And so at the same time, you know, I was paying attention to that, that tumor burden as well. And in my case, a liquid, a liquid tumor, a leukemia that's metastatic by definition, because it's in the marrow, it's in the, it's, it's a systemic kind of situation. Uh, so, you know, as I would, uh, focusing on the standard of care and the therapeutics and the approaches to what was available, that that was important to me following that kind of therapeutic pipeline or at that point lack thereof, uh, as well as the, the host environment, all the different things that I might do uh, for myself that I had complete control over. Yeah, I think our average patient feels like the, the main thrust of therapy should be against the tumor, against the, the abnormal cells. And I think that's, uh, that's the whole kind of medical oncology, traditional oncology approach. And now we're waking up to the fact that there is a terrain, there is uh, a, a, 
I, I guess you would say, a physiological background in which that tumor is growing, namely your life or the, or the patient's life. And so it's important then to start getting more scientific about what the different elements are that constitute a healthy terrain or a healthy environment such that the cancer cells uh, would lose their impetus to grow. So I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that's kind of a, where you were. And so what were some of the early steps you, t you took to kind of start to correct your terrain? Well, I focused on where the literature lived at, mm. at, at that point. Um, and certainly even back 31 years, there was emerging literature that supported the, the core tenets of a lifestyle medicine approach. Yeah. And so we've known for a long time uh, that, you know, those, those core, those core um, uh, elements, uh, nutrition, uh, movement, physical activity, stress reduction, restorative sleep, hydration, uh, we've known for a long time that that paying attention to these things can help prevent uh, cancer. And so by extension, it's logical that it would have an impact on the management of a, of a diagnosis or contribute to, um, you know, various types of, of, of therapies and or, you know, on, on their own. Yeah. So uh, there's a Dr. Cohen at MD Anderson that has written a wonderful book, Anti-Cancer Living, and he talks about the mix of six, which is pretty much what you just said. He would add yeah. maybe the toxicity element. There are toxins, and probably ever more so, even in the uh, 30, 40 years since, since you were diagnosed. Uh, so that's a part of it. And then sleep. Sleep, he uh, turns out sleep is incredibly important in terms of preventing cancer. Who would think? Uh, but people who do night shifts are actually they're actually talking about that as a carcinogen. Just it just is. just, just it having is. shift work. Um, you know, Lorenzo Cohen is is actually a, a colleague and a, and a friend, and and he was kind to include me in uh, in his book. And he's been at it for a long time. And I I, I don't know of anyone that's uh, done more uh, investigating at a fairly high level and has been given more grants through NIH and NCI for uh, even his work just based on mind, body and meditation and those sorts of things. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and he's uh, not exactly been working in a friendly environment. MD Anderson's pretty conventional, though we are getting calls now, even here at the Reardon Clinic, uh, one of the doctors down there is interested in the use of IV vitamin C as a conjunctive therapy. So I think uh, I feel, and this is just a, just a little bit off track of where we were going, but don't you feel like people are starting to wake up to this idea that you've got to take care of your lifestyle? You've got to take care of just the basic elements of health. And if you don't, uh, just treating the cancer alone just doesn't quite make sense. Yeah. Uh, there's certainly been, uh, you know, quite a evolution, you know, and yeah. since, since I was diagnosed in 31 years, I was kind of, there was 31 years ago, it was kind of the pre-internet world. And, and, uh, there wasn't a lot of folks talking about this stuff. There was some very early pioneering, you know, integrative cancer, um, 
you know, physicians such as, you know, Dr. Block and Keith Block and a few others. But yeah, I mean, it's it's grown beyond exponentially. Folks want to take better care of themselves. There, there's more literature, not not a ton, but it's, uh, you know, but it's it's um, it's certainly uh, growing apace. And, uh, you know, in, in, in the age of COVID and these future pandemics to come and path, pathogens, the idea of focusing on immune function and reducing or eliminating comorbidities and becoming more resilient when, when you live in an environment in this 21st, you know, the second decade of the, of, of the um, you know, the 21st century and, and uh, you, you, there's a lot stacked against a human being just in the, in the environment from the water, from the air, from the, you know, what's very most accessible food choices and that sort of thing where it, all these different factors add up to a situation where uh, if you're not focusing on, on immune function and resiliency, then you, the chances of getting uh, sick and, and probably a malignancy at some point in your lifetime, it's, it's pretty, it's getting higher and higher. Yeah. One other step that I, in just rereading your book recently that I think is very much worth uh, emphasizing is from the very beginning, you worked in a highly integrative way with your doctors. There has been uh, in the past an idea that patients should maybe try this completely on their own, you know, I'll go the alternative route, but I think we, we have integrative oncologists on our staff and I value them highly. Uh, you know, can you just speak a minute about how important it was for you to stay in touch with your doctors and to use the laboratory testing to kind of monitor your, the progress of your, of your condition so that you got good feedback that what you were doing was actually helping you? Sure. No, that's an important, uh, Important part of the of my story, uh, I was I was fortunate enough to for my local community hematologist. He had the presence of mind to connect me with an expert on my particular type of of disease. Um, he was an expert in this area, an academic at the Dana Farber uh, Cancer Institute, and uh, and that was uh, Lee Nadler, who's now the dean, uh, uh, Harvard dean. Um, and so it was critical to me, you know, and it should be for most folks that have any, you know, that have been diagnosed or hosting anything, but the most early stage indolent kind of malignancy to get an opinion at an academic center from a, from a clinician that kind of eats, lives, breathes, investigates this particular category of, you know, of disease. So all along I engaged very, you know, high quality uh, oncologist because I, but I didn't have unrealistic expectations in terms of what I needed from these folks that, that in the conventional oncology area, as part of my, you know, a team, they did their thing. They focused on the disease, uh, the tumor burden, you know, just targeting on that, on the malignancy and the, and the drugs and the therapies and that sort of thing. And, I spent I spent a lot of energy then on trying to figure out you know uh, the things that I should be doing around lifestyle supplementation 
et cetera, that, uh, that I could focus on on that kind of health creation side. Uh, I did work with a couple of uh, pharmacists that were nutritionists at different points through my journey, uh, but it wasn't until 19 years after diagnosis that I actually started working with an integrative physician. There's a lot more to this conversation and it's coming up right after a quick break. Today's podcast is brought to you by Biocenter Laboratories. The Biocenter Laboratory provides state-of-the-art lab testing and diagnostic services for healthcare providers, laboratories, hospitals, and the general public. Lab tests available through Biocenter include a comprehensive list of vitamins, minerals, fatty acids, amino acids, hormones, and pyrroles. They also provide a variety of standardized tests for disease markers. These markers include cardiovascular disease, diabetes, thyroid dysfunction, hormone imbalance, and more. Visit biocenterlab.org to learn more. Well, you know, you refer, the, by the way, uh, Glenn's book is entitled N of One, and, uh, and basically you were the, exper- the experiment. It's an experiment, but it's like it's, this N of One experiment is a bunch of little experiments hooked together where uh, you had to have some validation from uh, the things that you were trying, whether it was lifestyle or supplements or whatever it was, you needed the feedback to let you know you were on the right track. And I think uh, people that hear about N of One uh, as an experiment, they think, oh, you're going to do one thing and that's it. But your journey was the journey of a thousand steps or more, probably a million steps, but little steps that you were taking that you were trying out to see if they helped you not only feel better, but to get better blood counts, to uh, have other tests that showed that you were actually making progress. Or if you were going in the wrong direction, you could change course with some of the things that you were doing. I, I really did track, you know, very closely tracked over decades, literally. I continue to do it uh, to this day. Uh, to see what I could correlate with the things that I was doing and trying with changes to, uh, you know, to the blood. And uh, when I became very ill at uh, one point, feeling the full force and effect of of the leukemia, uh, then it became even, you know, more critical to watch even more closely and to get tested even more frequently during a very acute kind of period of, of, of time. Yes. So I, I think that, you know, you can try different things if, you know, I'm not a, um, you know, I'm not necessarily a proponent of alternative cancer care in lieu of effective, safe uh, standard of care. I just think that we should be reaching for more than standard of care, whether that's integrative oncology and lifestyle approaches or whether that's precision, you know, the promise of precision uh, medicine that's looking at, you know, each disease as uh, unique. Each person who's hosting a disease is unique to them. There's no other disease that's, that's identical to what a person is hosting. Just like from the host environment side, there's no one person, even an identical twin is not, is not identical from a host standpoint. You know, and so it's important to kind of push 
especially for for me, uh, Dr. Ron, in those early years, when I say early years, I mean, it's really the first, um, you know, 20 years since diagnosis until there was actual significant activity on the conventional oncology side. It's, it's different than it was, you know, today it's much different than it was, you know, back then. Um, so yeah, I, I had to measure what I was doing to, as you mentioned, validate or correlate some of the things I was doing, even though I could never reduce, I, I didn't take a reductionistic kind of approach to it. There was, um, several things, quite a few things that I would, that would just be part of what I would be doing and that I continue to do today. And it's, you know, impossible to reduce that in a, in a scientific study, too many moving variables and a biostatistician's nightmare. Yeah. I, I picked up from reading the book though, that you became quite the scholar of looking up the various mechanisms of uh, nutrients, herbs, uh, various uh, interventions, and you sought out people like the specialized pharmacists who were experts in those areas to verify what your hunches were, what your thoughts were about using these various uh, in, in interventions. So it was it was a it was a very well thought out, not just kind of randomly try this, try that. It was it was um, even though it. Uh, you had to put it together to fit you and your circumstances. It nevertheless made sense, at least to you and to the people that you were consulting. Yes, absolutely. That was an important part of the process. And I think do that's, it as, at as high level as possible based on limited literature, especially made it made that challenging. And it continues to be challenging uh, for most people today. Right. And there's that co-learner concept that Dr. Reardon espoused that uh, people can learn together. Uh, the, the patient can be their own advocate and look and try to find pathways, but then they need the feedback of someone that has more experience so that together you form a kind of team, especially in your case, you had a number of people on your team helping you, the, the doctors, the pharmacists, your family. It sounds like your wife was a tremendous support person for you and probably a lot of friends and your own personal doctor. That, I think that's really important to, to get that team idea going in our cancer patients because it, it takes a village, you know, <laughs> to say the least, uh, to, to, get, to get to where you've gotten. Yeah, it, it, uh, having a good A, a team, a comprehensive team, in places important, you know, various folks play various roles and it's important not to have unrealistic expectations on, you know, the areas of expertise or lack thereof of certain uh, parts of your team. And, and yes, my wife, Linda was, she's really the, the, the champion in my, in my story. I, you know, it's important to have, uh, you know, strong family and that, that support. And I'm, and I'm grateful for that for sure. Was there uh, a spiritual dimension to your your journey? You know, I uh, I'm a I'm a spiritual person, and the the diagnosis uh, kind of helped ground me. You know, early on, especially at that at that young age, and so priorities change, and where you invest energy and time, and what you pay the most attention to, 
uh, all that kind of evolved pretty pretty quickly. So I like to think that I'm a I'm a, a spiritual uh, person, and I think that you know in terms of of settling the mind uh, or you know different approaches to relaxation. Yeah, uh, it can be approached in so many different ways. And I don't believe there's a one size fits all, you know, to that. Um, but certainly it's, it's been part of what I've focused on. Yeah. A lot of people, the diagnosis throws them into a panic and they're in stress mode and there has to be some terraforma there, firma there where people can feel, uh, confident that they're they're moving in the right direction and, uh, and that people are going to give them feedback and help along the way. And so that, that connectivity is, is what Dr. Cohen calls it. Having that connectivity on all, on all levels is, uh, really, really helpful. sounds like you also made good use of nature, uh, getting out into the sunshine, walking outdoors, walking your dot, your dogs, you know, think, talk about unconditional love. Thank God for, for, dogs. So, uh, anyway, how about yeah. that part? Well, you know, nature is a big part of, uh, the story, I guess. And, and uh, something that I rely on a lot, I spend a lot of time outdoors, uh, and even getting a lot of exercise, at least cardio, uh, outdoors. So that's a real, that's incredibly important to me and to also put my hands in soil and, and just to be, you know, in, in nature, it, it really, um, it really moves me. And I think that it has high therapeutic value as well. Um, I'm careful in the sun. I do get sun. I, I get some unprotected sun and then I use high quality, uh, sunscreens to protect me. Um, but I do believe I get benefit from that. I'm also cognizant that there's a, a very extremely high correlation with my, the particular disease that, uh, that I have, or I had, mm -hmm. uh, with the, very, the three different skin cancers. Ah. Um, so it is a, a juggling kind of act, but, and a lot of, a lot of folks that with CLL don't realize that, that connection, but, um, yeah, I spent as much time as possible in, in, in nature. I think it's wonderful. So, we're, we're going to, uh, we could probably talk all day. I want to, I want to make sure we touch on your, the points that you made in your epilogue of your book, namely that where, where do we see oncology going in terms of the research? Uh, you know, we've done these large studies where you take a person with the same named disease, but we know even the same even the same joint, excuse me, even the same uh, anatomical part uh, can have many, many different variations, genetic variations and whatnot. So this N of one approach is looking like it's a necessity as we understand how cancer is so different in different people. So where do you think the research can go at this point to kind of help take that into consideration in the modern era? You know, case reports and N of one studies uh, used to be and still, you know, considered anecdotal cases and kind of quickly dismissed by 
uh, some, but as we move toward on the conventional side to real precision oncology and doing you know, next generation sequencing and, and looking at all these druggable pathways that are specific to an individual's uh, particular situation, I just think that there's going to be evolution on the uh, on the conventional side because I see it I see it unfolding and it's uh, something that I'm very involved with is a active cancer coach, um, and I also see on the on the host side or on the lifestyle side, uh, we we're already looking at kind of basket basket cases of you know small groups of trials. Uh, you know, one day and hopefully in, in our lifetime, we'll, we'll see um, various malignancies, you know, treated the bedside with, with N of 1 therapeutics that are actually drugs that are created specific to an individual. And so I, I see this like comprehensive approach to oncology that's going to be a lot more sophisticated that is going to include, you know, therapeutic uh, you know, exercise prescriptions, therapeutic nutrition uh, that's going to take an account of everything on what we currently silo or separate, but hope to integrate on this integrative oncology side, as well as the conventional oncology side. I'm seeing more, uh, more research and more companies that are very well uh, capitalized that are looking at uh, uh, for instance, um, uh, individualized uh, nutrition to work with certain cancer drugs. I see that, you know, these types of, of, of things and AI and machine learning and all these things that are coming to kind of fruition. Uh, so it's an amazing time, I think, both for proponents of integrative care and, and on the conventional oncology side. Well, I, I just want to thank you for standing up and having the courage to do what you did and to, and to uh, now also be a, uh, a standard bearer for this new wave of integrative oncology where individualization is going to become, just as you said, more and more important. And so uh, I think you stand as an, and as an inspiration to people who are just now being diagnosed. And I'm sorry to say, we're just getting more and more calls. The, the cancer epidemic rages on, unfortunately, but I think we need to have the kind of tools and approach that you lived uh, to, to help people understand they can, they can beat cancer, but it's not gonna be easy. They have to really put their whole being uh, behind the effort, but uh, it's always great when someone stood up and said, I'm going to do this and you did it. And so thank you so much. Any, any final thoughts uh, before we part? Well, I'll say this uh, in, in life and in health, we are each an N of one. We, we are each unique and, you know, finding our past, and being curious and asking more questions, uh, it's all an important part of, of, of a process, especially toward you know, health creation and becoming the most resilient uh, person that we can be. 
Glenn, thank you so much for being on Real Health and for having real health uh, and, and for being uh, that kind of person that can be uh, uh, an inspiration to all of us. So hope you continue to stay well and we hope to talk again sometime soon. Thank you, Dr. Ron. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Real Health Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe and leave us a review. You can also find all of the episodes and show notes over at realhealthpodcast.org. Also, be sure to visit reardonclinic.org where you will find hundreds of videos and articles to help you create your own version of real health.